Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. Welfare check. Open this door! You're not coming into my home! Help me! Help me! I need help! Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 387. Releasing November 19 on HBO Max is The Killing of Kenneth Chamberlain a film that depicts the true life events that led to the death of elderly African-American veteran Kenneth Chamberlain Sr. at the hands of police officers. An intense and harrowing experience that features an excellent lead performance by Frankie Faison, The Killing of Kenneth Chamberlain is also an incredibly relevant film that again brings to light the issue of policing in urban areas and towards those with mental illness. And I'm happy to say joining me now on the podcast is the writer and director of The Killing of Kenneth Chamberlain, Mr. David Medill. David, I thank you so very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So, you know, David, what I love about movies and watching movies is often you might come across stories that you never heard of before or people in history you never heard of before as well. And it's um, it can be a really illuminating experience oftentimes in your movie, um, The Killing of Ken- Kenneth Chamberlain, is one of those experiences that I had. Um, of course, myself being in Australia and, and also the, case, the fact that this case was back in 2011, I believe, um, I think, you know, so much has happened since then. Maybe the story has gone by the wayside before this movie came out. You know, I think it's really great that I can watch this film and learn about Kenneth and learn about what happened to him on that night in November in 2011. What about yourself? When it came to learning about Kenneth's story, do you remember the first time you remembered hearing about it? Was it like in the news at the time or was this something that you kind of caught up on afterwards. Yeah, it, it was, uh, it was something that I caught up on afterwards. Um, you know, this is like you mentioned, this was back in 2011 and I think it was, um, you know, at some point in 2014, 2015, I, I can't remember exactly when it was, but somewhere, somewhere around then, um, you know, I was just, I, w- I was just doing some research online about, um, you know, the criminal justice system and, and policing and those kinds of things. And I came across Kenneth Chamberlain senior's name. And uh, there were a a number of things that really jumped out to me initially about his story uh, because of some, you know, uh, personal things about myself, personal experiences that I've, that I've had. Uh, I was a special education teacher for many years. I worked with students with uh, developmental disabilities and emotional behavioral 
disorders. Um, and I actually am myself on the autism spectrum. Um, and, you know, given, given my background, uh, this, this story really resonated with me because one of the things that jumped out to me about it was how ill-prepared and tragically misguided these police officers were mm. when it came to communicating with somebody who was, um, who was in the midst of a mental health crisis that, that they actually had caused, you know, they, they had caused the situation to escalate in the first place. And they were just so woefully, tragically ill-prepared and misguided when it came to um, de-escalating the situation rather than escalating it even, even further. So it really resonated with me for those reasons. And I decided to reach out to the Chamberlain family. Um, and I started a conversation with Kenneth Chamberlain Jr. Um, and, you know, the, the, the script and, and the story of the film uh, ended up kind of being derived from those conversations that I had with Kenneth Chamberlain Jr. Kenneth Chamberlain Jr. has been, you know, there every step of the way in getting justice for his father. He's been there with the appeals and the civil suits, et cetera. I'd imagine reaching out to him, I'd, I'm not sure, but I'd imagine a lot of people might have already reached out to him in regards to, you know, making a film or a documentary or a series, et cetera, considering how much of a, of a hotbed issue that this, this uh, case is. What was it about what you presented to him that really kind of made him say, yeah, I'm going to go with you, David? Um, was there something in a way, is, is, for example, is it that yourself coming from a background of having uh, autism and coming from that angle, does that help in the way that you kind of wanted to present um, Kenneth's story? Did that kind of help um, Kenneth Chamberlain Jr. and say yes to you in regards to putting this film on screen? Yeah, I think that that may have been part of it. I, what, what he what what Kenneth reports is that, um, yeah, that that was, you know, sort of a factor in, I guess, making him feel like, um, you know, just given given my background that I I um, I had a sense of, of some of the things that that were very, very complex about this, this story and some of the th some of the things that could be could be misconstrued or could be portrayed as, you know, cliched or stereotypical, those kinds of things. Yes. Um, but I, I think it was, I think it was really, um, you know, Kenneth has been fighting, as you mentioned, for accountability uh, for nearly a decade now. In fact, the, the, the film's uh, premiere on HBO next week is officially on the exact 10 year anniversary of the events that are portrayed in the film. Hmm. Um, so he, and he's been, you know, he has been pursuing this the entire time and yeah, he, he's had people approach about, you know, various projects and those kinds of things. But I, I think for, for various reasons, you know, none of them ever came to fruition. They got stalled, uh, those kinds of things. So I think he, he sensed, um, he sensed the fact that we were very serious about this, that we were going to treat the subject matter and his father's story with the respect that it deserved. And, um, you know, we, we made the decision very early on. And when I say we, I mean myself and my producing partner, uh, Enrico Natale, uh, we made the decision very early on that we were going to make Kenneth Chamberlain Jr.'s voice, the primary voice behind the film, yeah. uh, which is why I say that, you know, the script and the story were derived from the conversations that we had initially. And I think that, you know, because because of the enormous respect that we have for Kenneth um, and the work that he's done over the past 10 years, 
uh, pursuing justice not only for his father but for uh, other other people who who've been other people in families who have been victims of of police violence. Um, that you know he understood that that his voice was really going to be the primary voice that we were listening to, and that we were we were gonna, we were going to treat his father's story with the respect it deserved. The there's complexities to this case because I remember reading somewhere that this is kind of like a case where there's like three sides to the story. You have the police, mm-hmm. what they say, you have the forensics, the facts that are laid out. And then you also have the residents who are witnesses uh, to what happened to Kenneth that night, which is depicted um, right. in your film. When you piece together the screenplay, is it just a case of just grabbing all of these different kind of sides and kind of like merging together and then creating the best movie that you can from it? Because, of course, at the end of the day, you are making a movie. It's not a documentary. It's not a surveillance from the night. You are putting together art. Um, is it just a case of trying to grab all of these kind of aspects and pulling them together and, and piecing together the best screenplay you can to represent what happened that night? Yeah, exactly. That that was one of the biggest challenges that, that we faced, I think, because, uh, yes, it is. It is a film. It's a narrative film, um, you know, and and uh, so it, so it has that that. I, it feels strange to use the word entertainment, yeah. but it there is that aspect to it. But at the same time, you know, we we took this story obviously very very seriously, and we knew that we had we had a responsibility to uh, to portray it in as honest and accurate a way as we as we possibly could, uh, and that and that goes you know that that speaks to you know not wanting to demonize any of the characters in in particular wanting to make sure that you know everybody is portrayed as a human being with with flaws that you know nobody showed up on that morning assuming that they were going to that somebody was going to end up dead right um so so it, it it was challenging though kind of figuring out like you said there are there is there's really no single concrete set of facts in this case there is the uh the story that the police put out there's the story that the residents tell and there's the story that the forensic evidence tells. And there are certain places where all three of those stories match and certain places where all three of the stories diverge. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, the primary person who can really tell us what happened uh, is unable to because he's deceased, Kenneth yes. Chamberlain Sr. So, yeah, we, we had to be very careful and, and deliberate about, you know, taking taking very educated guesses where we needed to, you know, operating from a set of facts that we knew were concrete. But then obviously we had to use our imagination in certain sections to fill in some of the gaps, some of the discrepancies between these stories and those kinds of things. Uh, so that that was really a challenge, making sure that we were being as responsible as we possibly could in um you know, taking these educated guesses about which direction to go with certain things where there isn't one definitive set of facts. With the goal being Kevin Chamberlain's senior's voice, his presence is central to the story. Crucial is the casting of of, of who will play him. And Frankie mm-hmm. Faison delivers that's a, a tremendous performance in this movie. And right. he's an actor that you know, I'm 40 now, so I've grown up watching him in movies and shows. You know, the member, I remember the first time I saw him was in Coming to America and then, of course, right. all the, um, the Hannibal Lecter uh, series right. as well. I think he's the only mm-hmm. one who played, like, the same role in all four movies, actually. Um, right. I think he, he has that record of being the only one who's appeared in all four. It, it's Yeah, that's correct. I think so. In The Wire later on, et cetera. Mm-hmm. He's an accomplished, terrific actor, and he gives 
which is remarkable to me. I think he's like almost late 60s, early 70s, the performance of his oh. career right now in your movie. Yeah. What was it like casting him? Was he someone that you had on the radar straight away in regards to playing Kenneth? He was one of them. Uh, he, he was one of the people that we had in mind. Yeah. You know, when, when you look at, um, you know, when you look at the industry, there aren't a lot of really three-dimensional, uh, three-dimensional, fully developed lead protagonist roles for, for actors beyond, you know, maybe the age of 50. You know, um, so the 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 list of actors that we that we could kind of pull from was n- not a huge list, and he was he was always near the top of the uh, near the top of that list, and and you know we knew based on what we had seen, you know the types of characters that we had seen him play before that um, you know obviously he played a huge a huge variety of types of characters. He'd been in a huge variety of genres. You know he 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 had been in you know, comedies, dramas, action, thrillers, you know, all those, all those kinds of kinds of things. So his career was very, very eclectic. Um, and it was, um, it was really an incredible experience uh, watching him play this role. He really set the tone for everyone on set in terms of how not only the quality of his performance and the commit, the level of commitment that he was demonstrating, but, um, you know, just in terms of how he treated everybody on set, he was the, the most the most professional actor I've ever worked with in my in my career. He was nothing but uh, respectful and gracious of everyone on set, despite the fact that he was going so deep into this character that, you know, there were times between takes when he would just kind of sit alone, be on his own. We, we always, we always like to say that we didn't really meet the real Frankie who's actually, you know, Frankie is actually, you know, a kind of a light jovial guy who's, you know, has a great sense of humor and, and there's a lightness about him. Uh, but we didn't see much of that on set because he was so deep in this character um, that we, we in, in some ways feel like we didn't really meet Frankie until he was finally finished playing the character. <laughs> The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by 80s Tees. 80s Tees is an online retailer of licensed t-shirts and pop culture gear from your favorite movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, comic books, and musicians. Celebrate your inner 80s nerd and click on the link in the show notes below to get the raddest retro t-shirts delivered to your door. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by Loot Crate. Founded in 2012, Loot Crate is the worldwide leader in fan subscription boxes. Loot Crate partners with industry leaders in entertainment, gaming, sports, and pop culture to deliver monthly themed crates, produce interactive experiences in digital content, and film original video productions. No matter what you geek out about, Loot Crate has a subscription box for you. To get your very own exclusive collectibles, apparel, and gear delivered to your door, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is also brought to you by Voodoo. Watch the latest movies and TV shows anytime, anywhere. No subscriptions, no contract. Enjoy stunning quality in up to 4K ultra high definition at home, and download and watch on your mobile device as well. To rent and buy from over 100,000 titles or watch thousands of movies free with Voodoo Movies on us, be sure to click on the link in the show notes below. Now, back to the show. I think 
what's really important about his performance and your movie as well is that, you know, the conversation regarding policing uh, towards people of colour has been, you know, pretty dominant over the last couple of years, but a conversation that hasn't been spoken about enough is policing of people with mental illnesses. Um, You mentioned before that you are on the autism spectrum. My son is also on the autism spectrum. Oh, okay. And one of the biggest fears that I have is that when he gets older, um, if his behavioural issues that he has now um, doesn't, you know, improve in the ways that we hope and that he still, you know, has his temper tantrums and such, how will people, you know, respond to that? Um, when he does it at home, me you know, as his mum and dad, we can understand who he is right. and where he's coming from. But a stranger, especially a person, uh, a policeman who whose training is to defuse the situation, no matter what it is, might take it another way, and that can go all sorts of directions, right. as as evident in what happened with Kenneth Chamberlain. Right, is the hope that this movie, on top of the conversation of policing of um of people of color, especially in urban areas, is also the hope that the conversation will be dominated by how people will approach people with mental illness, especially how police will approach people with mental illnesses, because there is moments in the film where there are some um, police officers who want to take a different approach towards, you know, resolution, a different type of, uh, towards a peaceful resolution, but they're looked at as lesser than. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, at the end of the day, what happens, happens. Is it a hope that hopefully there will be changes in regards to how we approach people with mental illnesses in society, especially when it comes to the issue of crime or criminals or or even um, what happened in, in, with emergency situations like in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a, that's a huge, huge piece that, that I hope the film, um, you know, that I hope the film generates discussions and conversations about because, you know, we know that, um, you know, in America, and I'm not, I'm not quite sure how it, how, you know, how, the, the dynamics in Australia, but I know, you know, obviously in America, uh, people of color, particularly black and brown people are disproportionately likely to be injured or killed by police. Uh, and the same goes for people with mental health challenges or developmental uh, developmental challenges like autism, like other developmental disabilities, emotional and behavioral issues. Um, so it, it, it's absolutely, that's a huge, huge part of it. And, and you know, my hope is that you know, the film can generate discussions about what types of training are police officers really receiving? I know that there are some departments who have who have implemented uh, de-escalation training or uh, nonviolent crisis intervention training on how to respond to individuals with mental health challenges. But it's not nearly enough. When you look at the when you look at the discrepancy between the number of hours in police academies that officers receive mental health training compared to the number of office, uh, uh, the number of hours that they receive weapons training. It's, you know, it's like 40 to one or 60 to one, yeah. something like that. So I, I think that, you know, that's a huge, huge piece, a piece of it. And, and, you know, being on the autism spectrum myself, obviously it's personal for me and having worked in special education for so many years, you know, I've seen, I've been involved in crisis situations, uh, that have been resolved smoothly and safely. And I've been in, involved in crisis situations that have spiraled completely out of control yeah. where people get injured. 
um, and there's you know serious damage done sometimes. So so it's it's very personal for me for for those reasons, and that is a huge piece that that I hope the film addresses in some way or generates conversation about because, um, like you said, you know, in relation to your son, I'm sure that a lot of parents can can relate to that, especially parents of of. Uh, uh, children with with special needs that you know you know obviously he's going to be safe if if he's having a behavior uh, in you know at home, but you just you never know how people in the community might react. You never know if if there's an encounter with a police officer, is that police officer going to have the adequate training or the right mindset or the right you know uh, uh, approach to de-escalate the situation and to exercise empathy and compassion or um, you know, might, might there be some, some different outcomes? So that, that's a huge, huge piece that I, that I really hope the, the film addresses and generates conversation about. The key word that you just mentioned there, I, I actually had in my notes for this movie was escalate. It just seems like this situation just grew bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. What mm-hmm. is key to that feeling within me when I watch this film, the intensity of it, is that it's such a visceral experience the right. editing, the angles um, that you uh, made your shots with, the, for- the performances, of course. Um, it's interesting that I read that you were very insistent towards both your cinematographer and, and editor that you were going to do this handheld. There wasn't right. going to be anything else but handheld. What was it? Was the decision behind that just to make sure you can catch that really visceral feeling and get in there really close and intimate so that the audience can feel exactly what's happening? Yeah, it, it was funny, actually, because, uh, yeah, I, I, right from the very beginning, I had always envisioned the film being shot with that, you know, with that kind of docudrama style, because, it you know, the whole film takes place in real time. And, and the goal was really to put the audience, um, to put the audience in the middle of the action in that hallway and in that apartment. So it, it always made sense to me to do it that way. And I remember one of the first conversations that I had with the cinematographer. Uh, Cameron Petromali, who, who who had never shot a film like this before with this style. Mm. Um, you know, we we actually sat together and we watched a number of uh, Paul Greengrass films and, uh, you know, Catherine Bigelow films, films that, that have employed that style really, really effectively. Um, and he asked me, you know, we were talking about the equipment that we would need. Um, and he said, like, you know, he said something like, are, are you, you know, you're not going to want, you know, no dolly shots, no, no tripods, nothing like that. And I said, nope. Nope, nothing like that. He's like, you're sure? Like, not no. Like, he, it was it was almost it, it was a funny conversation because he had never shot a film like this, and um, you know, he just wanted to make sure that he was going to be bringing the equipment that we would need. Uh, but yeah, it always just made sense to me to shoot it with that style because we wanted that, like you said, that visceral sense of immediacy with this this escalation. We wanted to put the audience in the shoes of the people who were involved in it um, in a way that it would have a, a visceral impact that we, you know, because there, for example, with, with, with Frankie's character, with Kenneth, there's so much going on, you know, from the, the yelling going on outside, the pounding on the door, his hearing aids, the, the psychological um, issues that he's experiencing. Yeah. There's so much going on. We wanted to try to approximate with you know the camera work as well as the sound design and the sound mixing and we had a we had, we were very very lucky we had an incredible uh, sound designer and sound mixer Scott Jennings um, and many other people on the sound team as well not just Scott but but he was kind of the 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 overarching figure that put put it all together um, and you know 
from the camera work to the the sound design and the, and the sound mixing, we really wanted to get the audience inside Kenneth's mind uh, to, you know, sort of approximate what it might be like for somebody in this situation. Um, you know, how, how frightening this must have been and, mm. and those kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, I am typically not a big fan of kind of like a sh- what I call a shaky cam right. style of filmmakers. Because only a few people can really do it well. I mean, you ma- you mentioned a couple a couple of names there, Paul Greengrass and yeah. Catherine Bigelow. What I think you've done, how you utilise it in your film, was just really effective and masterful. And I think it really does really put you in the room amidst the chaos. And I think that's what's important to understand about the stories, that the chaos in that movie you know, just kind of escalates and escalates to like a boiling point. Um, and then for the movie at the end, to end of the way it does, mm-hmm. we have real life audio, real life, you know, there wasn't body cams then from what I understand. And also the technology with phones and such, we weren't there yet with a camera on every phone. So what, <laughs> we're, what we're listening to there, is that kind of like the recording from that life? Uh, what was right. that a company called? Was a life save uh, box? Was that was that pretty much what we were listening to at the end of the film? It, it was, a, yeah, it was, a, it was life. Yeah, it's a, a a medical alert company. Essentially, had their 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 uh, their you know Kenneth had a call box, and um, he could communicate with with the uh, with the monitoring station with the with the woman who was at the monitoring station. He was communicating with her the entire time. So most of the audio that you're hearing in in the actual, you know, the actual recordings of the real incident, the audio is from that call box. Mm. The video actually, you're right. They, they didn't have body cams at the time. The, um, the, uh, the video that you see is actually from a camera mounted on the taser that they used. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the only camera that, that actually recorded any of it. It's only, it's only a small section of it. And, and you can see it's a very grainy black and white video. It's not, you know, not high resolution or anything like that. But um, so that's, that's where the camera footage was from. And then the audio was from that call box. Um, with you know, Kenneth was communicating with her throughout the entire incident, and we were we were very lucky. We had a a, a phen- phenomenal actress, Anika Noni Rose, uh, play that that medical attendant for uh, for the film, and she you know uh, he she is really hit, hit one of his strongest allies. Yeah. You know, throughout this entire throughout this entire uh, incident, as as she was in real life as well. It's. Just really effective, amazing stuff, and just terrific how you and your crew really pulled all that together. Um, Thank you. How did uh, Morgan Freeman become involved with this? He's an executive producer. Um, yeah. How, how did he kind of get involved with the whole process of it? And he's out there talking about the film now, which is terrific as well, because um, it's great to have someone of his credibility and star power just talking about how how great your movie is. A- absolutely. Uh, Morgan, Morgan and his his whole team have really, really been, been incredible to work with. Uh, they, they kind of came on board after we had finished the film. Um, one of our executive producers was, uh, was a colleague of somebody who used to work at Morgan's company revelations um, that he used to work there and he had sent him the film. And I think he, his colleague asked, Hey, do you, do you want me to forward this over to, to revelations? And he did. Um, and they, they watched it in and, and it really, really resonated resonated strongly with them. So, um, you know, working with his team, primarily Laurie McCreary uh, and Gary Lucchese, um, 
it, it's really been an incredible experience for us the way that you know we we've we've been lucky to have morgan and frankie Faison, the lead actor and then kenneth chamberlain jr out in the media speaking about the film and we kind of call them the the dream team because they all they all come to the story from a, a, a different, unique perspective. They all have different, valuable um, points that they make in these discussions. And they're, they're all, uh, you know, Morgan and, and Frankie are really able to support Kenneth's voice in an, in an incredible, incredible way. And, and, and just watching the, the message of the film get amplified through, uh, through Morgan and, and his team has, has really been, uh, it's, it's really been incredible. And Morgan, Morgan has really, you know, he, he's done a tremendous amount recently. He, he, uh, donated to Ole Miss, which is a, a university in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he donated, I'm not sure what the actual amount was, but he donated enough. I, I believe I, I could be wrong about the, the specifics, but it's, it's either a department at Ole Miss or it's a, he, he funded a study at Ole Miss that's actually going to be studying uh, policing the 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 subject of policing to try to come up with um, or you know just generate discussion about ways in which the uh, the policing field can improve whether it's a community policing model or different types of training different uh, types of recruiting practices those kinds of things so Morgan's really made this a a priority you know both in his own community and. Uh, nationwide. Well, as the killing of Kenneth Chamberlain really attests to, it's something that really needs to be looked at because while, you know, everyone wants to support the police, we want to make sure that the police are equipped with the right training and the right attitudes when it comes to situations like this. So history doesn't repeat itself. I think that's what everyone really wants. And I really do hope that when this releases HBO Max November 19, that everyone watches it and um, takes to heart this man's story. He was a, a veteran uh, he was a good man, a father, a Christian, and um, the way that he was just killed in the way that he was was not deserving of him or any other man, to, to, to be frank. So it's really an important movie that you made, David, and um, you've re- received a whole bunch of nominations from different awards bodies, including um, yourself uh, from the Independent Spirit Awards. Um, Frankie Faison's got a lead performance nomination from the Gotham Awards, and I think it really deserved it, and I hope to see much more as the award season goes on because it's a deserving film and I hope everyone gets to watch it and um, David Medill, I thank you so very much for your time today and thank you for making this film. I think it's uh, really important that kind of story is being seen by everyone and um, that his story be heard. Thank you very much. We really, really appreciate the opportunity and, uh, and thanks for having me.